Hey there, it's Russ, and as I record this, it's early February of 2020, and uh, some recent retirement legislation was passed effective January 1st called the SECURE Act. Uh, SECURE, in this case, stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement. Um, this uh, was signed into law in late December of last year and became effective January 1st of this year, 2020. As with virtually any legislation out of Washington, uh, there was uh, a lot packed into this act, uh, including some changes related to annuities and making those more widely available for use in 401k plans, um, something I'm personally not a fan of. Um, you can now contribute to IRAs beyond age 70 and a half, uh, 70 and a half uh, as long as you have earned, earned income. That was not an option um, previously. Um, you can now use 529 plan balances uh, to pay off uh, certain amounts of school loan debt, uh, so college loans. You can also uh, access retirement account assets penalty-free for childbirth and adoption uh, expenses. Um, that's currently up to $5,000 per childbirth or adoption event. And there were, uh, frankly, just a whole lot of other things packed into this, uh, this piece of legislation. But as it relates to women's retirement and overall retirement planning and success for, uh, for you who might be out there listening, uh, there are two main retirement impacts that came out of the SECURE Act. The first is uh, required minimum distributions or RMDs. The be uh, required beginning date for those has changed. It's been pushed back just a bit. And uh, there are now no more stretch IRAs. So I wanted to spend just a few minutes today and talk a little bit about both of those and what it may mean for your retirement planning. So RMDs or required minimum distributions are um, required by the IRS uh, starting at a certain age. And they're basically saying you've been deferring these taxes on this retirement account for years and years and years, potentially decades. Now we're going to start making you take a little bit of money out each and every year. And it's based on the amount of money that's in the account as well as your life expectancy um, at that point in time. Prior to January 1st, RMDs um, were required to begin at age 70 and a half. Um, and don't ask me why 70 and a half. I'm not sure why they didn't choose 70 or 71, but that's just one of those weird IRS quirks. But previously, you had to begin taking required minimum distributions when you reached age 70 and a half. That has now been changed to age 72. Um, and one quick note, uh, required minimum distributions, uh, the key word here is required. Um, you want to make sure that you pay attention to these. You want to make sure that you pay them in the correct amount um, and um, on time. You have to pay them at the, uh, by the end of the year in which they are due, uh, except for the first one, which I'll touch on a little bit more in a minute. But if you miss them, there, there can be some really steep penalties. And I don't think anyone ever wants to get crossways with the IRS, but uh, this is certainly uh, an example of when you would not want to do so. So um, if we are talking about RMDs and this recent change from them being required to start formally at age 70 and a half, now at age 72, the key date for you to keep in mind is if you were born on July 1st, 1949 or later, you don't have to take your RMDs until you reach age 72. 
if you were born before that, so June 30th, 1949 or earlier, you fall under the old RMD rules and you'll be forced to start taking them when you reach age 70 and a half. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, you have to take your RMD by December 31st of the year in which it's required, except for your first one. So whether you have to start taking RMDs at 70 and a half or whether you're eligible to now defer them to age 72 under the new SECURE Act, you have to take your first RMD by April 1st of the year after reaching your age at which RMDs are, are required to start. So in this example, let's say that you are required to start taking RMDs at age 72. Uh, and let's say you turn uh, 72 next year in 2021. Well, you would actually not have to take your first RMD until uh, April 1st of 2022, so the year after you turn 72. But there's one catch. Um, if you wait and defer your first RMD until April, April 1st of the year after you turn 72, you also have to take uh, another RMD in that same year by December 31st because you have to take your age 73 RMD. So uh, if you defer your first RMD until April 1st of the year after which they're required to begin, just be sure to take your, um, in this example, age 73 uh, RMD in that year as well, but you have until uh, December 31st of that year to take it. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, RMDs are based on the amount of money that's in your retirement account and your uh, life, expectancy at, at, uh, life expectancy at that time. Um, typically your 401k provider or your custodian of your retirement account or your financial advisor can help you uh, with the details uh, surrounding that. So let's talk about a quick example, a simple example. Um, let's say there's a 73-year-old couple, Jane and John. They need $40,000 uh, income from their retirement accounts to support their lifestyle. Um, and this could be above and beyond pension income, social security income, part-time income. We're, we're just talking about the money they need out of their retirement accounts. So they need $40,000 a year. Um, in 2020, their RMD is, let's say, $32,000. As a result of their income need from their retirement accounts at $40,000 being larger than their RMD of $32,000, they're, they're actually going to satisfy their RMD just through their natural spending out of their retirement account uh, because they're spending more than the uh, RMD amount for this particular year in this example. But let's, uh, let's look at another hypothetical couple. Uh, let's call them Tammy and Tommy. They're both 72. They also need $40,000 in income each year from their retirement accounts to support their lifestyle. But because they've accumulated a larger a balance in their retirement accounts, their 2020 RMD is 67,000. So they need $40,000 from their retirement accounts, but the RMD for this year is 67,000. That means that through their normal spending, they're not going to meet their RMD. They're actually gonna be about $27,000 short. This is going to uh, call for them to take an additional $27,000 um, of taxable income in 2020 because they're going to have to distribute that from their IRA or their retirement accounts. Um, and that's something that you need to be aware of, A, because you want to make sure that you meet your RMD and don't run afoul of the IRS or uh, create any tax penalties for yourself. But B, you also need to think about it and plan ahead because that additional taxable income could push you into a higher tax bracket. It could uh, impact your Medicare premiums. It could have other ramifications. So something to be aware of as you are thinking about your 
RMDs relative to your taxes and relative to your uh, income needs. So what planning opportunities are there around these new RMD rules? Well, one thing that you might consider is um, strategic Roth conversions. Roth conversions is when you take uh, part of a traditional IRA, pull it out, pay taxes on those dollars, and um, take the remainder and put it into a Roth IRA. Um, if you have the ability to pay the taxes from another account, then you basically take, let's say, $25,000 out of a regular IRA, put it into a Roth IRA. Um, you would use other funds to pay the taxes owed on that $25,000 because that will be taxed as income in the year that you do it. And the thinking behind this strategy is maybe it makes sense to pay taxes today um, because you feel like taxes or, or you expect taxes will be higher in the future. Uh, a quick example of when this might make sense is let's say that you have retired recently. Um, you are not receiving a pension. Uh, you're not working um, and you are deferring your social security to age 70. So um, you're receiving relatively low taxable income right now, which means you're going to be in a low income tax bracket. It may make sense to take some of your IRA, convert it to a Roth, pay those taxes at a lower tax bracket today, because let's say at age 70, um, if you have Social Security income kicking in and maybe you're going to have uh, RMDs kicking in at 72, let's say, and maybe you're even going to be eligible for a pension later on um, when you get to your late 60s or 70s, your income taxable income is going to be higher at that point, which means your tax bracket is going to be higher. Uh, and so it might make sense to pay some taxes earlier today at a lower rate and basically get some of your IRA or retirement account dollars out from under the required minimum distribution requirements, which you, know, you may have to pay later uh, at a higher tax bracket. So something to think about there. Um, you might also think about tax planning if you're still working. Um, one strategy you might consider is if currently you're putting pre-tax contributions into your 401k, many companies now offer a Roth 401k option where you can actually put money in after tax. It will go into a Roth 401k, which you can later roll into a Roth IRA. And anything in a Roth IRA is not subject to required minimum distributions at all. Um, also, when you, when you ultimately take those dollars out and spend them, there's no income tax uh, owed on those dollars because you are putting after-tax dollars into that plan. So that's another consideration and something that uh, might make sense to, uh, to think about. So we touched on RMDs and the new required beginning date moving from 70 and a half to age 72. The other major uh, component of the SECURE Act is the elimination of the stretch IRA. So what is a stretch IRA? A stretch IRA is if you, uh, let's say you own an IRA and you uh, designate a beneficiary other than your spouse. So let's say you leave uh, part or all of your IRA to a, uh, to a child, to an adult, ch uh, an adult child. Since uh, your adult child would be a non-spouse beneficiary, formerly, um, if you passed away, they received your IRA, they could uh, begin taking their own required minimum distributions out immediately and each year for the rest of their lives, but it would be based on their life expectancy. So let's say you're age 65 and um, you pass away, you leave your IRA to your 40-year-old um, uh, daughter, um, she could effectively stretch out the tax liabilities by taking only the required minimum distributions each and every year for the remainder of her life expectancy. And since she's only um, 
40 in this example, um, she could actually stretch that, li that tax liability out over many more years um, than you would have been able to. And in fact, if uh, your daughter designates um, her son as beneficiary on her inherited IRA uh, and something happens to her, um, she could pass the IRA to her son and he could essentially do the same and he could stretch out the IRA over uh, his life expectancy. That's gone away. So the new rules um, apply to uh, designated beneficiaries. So if you are, I have named a beneficiary of a retirement account um, and they have a birth date. So typically we're talking about naming an individual. So a spouse, a sibling, a child, a grandchild. Um, we're typically not talking about um, naming your estate or a, a tr mini trust or let's say a charitable organization. But if you now leave an IRA to a non-spousal designated beneficiary, instead of them being able to inherit the IRA and stretch out the required minimum distributions over the remainder of their life, they now have to take all of those IRA assets out within 10 years after the date of death of the account owner. So let's say that you have an IRA, you want to leave it to your uh, son, um, you pass away, um, let's say you pass away on February 15th of this year, 2020. Um, your son can inherit the full uh, IRA amount, uh, account. Um, he can spend the money um, as he wishes, when he wishes, but he has to take all of the money out by the end of the 10th year following your death. So in this example, he would have to take out all of the assets by February 15th of the year 2030, which is 10 years from this hypothetical uh, date of death for, for you, the account owner in this, in, in this example. Um, he does not have to take it out um, in the uh, intervening years. He can wait and take it all out in the 10th year, but it all has to be out of that account by the end of the 10th year. So what the government is basically doing is saying, instead of allowing uh, beneficiaries to stretch out the tax liability associated with inheriting an IRA or, or inheriting retirement account assets, we're now going to compress that and make them basically take all the money out um, and pay all the associated taxes over uh, 10 years. So uh, in my opinion, this is, this is really just a way for the government to uh, accelerate um, tax revenue that uh, would otherwise be stretched out over years and perhaps decades. Um, the fact that the money has to be out by the end of the 10th year after the death of the account owner, but you don't have to take out uh, any money in years one through nine, if, if, if the beneficiary chooses not to, um, does allow for some flexibility um, in, 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 in when and how the beneficiary may choose to take those dollars out. I'll, I'll touch on that in just a moment. Um, and if, if a non-designated beneficiary um, inherits an IRA or a retirement account, um, there are some different rules that apply. Um, I'll touch on those just uh, in just a moment uh, as well. So just to give you uh, a quick rundown of different beneficiary types and how they're treated under this new SECURE Act, um, eligible designated beneficiaries can still receive um, IRA uh, assets or retirement account assets as a beneficiary and either treat them as their own or stretch them out over their life expectancies. So again, that's eligible designated beneficiaries, and those, uh, those include minor children of the decedent um, up until they reach age of majority or until they legally become an adult, uh, disabled persons, uh, people that are chronically ill, um, 
beneficiaries that are not more than 10 years younger than the account owner, spouses, which I mentioned earlier, and some trusts. So uh, some trusts used in estate planning um, can be set up and structured so they still satisfy the requirements to be an eligible designated beneficiary. There's a difference between an eligible designated beneficiary and just a designated beneficiary. So um, designated beneficiaries include non-spouses and some trusts. And this is where the stretch IRA is eliminated. So if you, if you leave an IRA or a retirement account to a, a non-spousal beneficiary or to some certain trusts, they will now no longer be able to stretch the IRA out over their life expectancy and will have to take all of the inherited assets out by the end of the 10th year after the account owner's death. And then finally, there is something called a non-designated beneficiary. Uh, and in simple terms, these are typically beneficiaries that don't have a birthday. Um, so if you, for example, name your estate, and I'm making air quotes when I say that, if you name your estate as a beneficiary, um, of your IRA, for example, that's a non-designated beneficiary. Um, this could also include charities. It could include some trusts. Um, these rules aren't changing, so they're not really impacted by the SECURE Act. Um, but the rules around how they must distribute inherited retirement account assets depends on the age of the account owner at death. So if the account owner passes away prior to the age at which they are required to start taking minimum annual distributions, the non-designated beneficiary has to take all of the inherited retirement account assets out within five years. So again, if the account owner passes away prior to the required minimum distribution starting date, the inherited retirement account assets have to be paid out over five years. If on the other hand, the account owner passes away after they've begun taking required minimum distributions, the beneficiary who receives their retirement account assets can actually take those assets and have them paid out based on a single life expectancy of the account owner. So that gets a little bit tricky. Um, suffice it to say, this is not the best medium to get into all the details here, but um, there are different considerations, different rules, different timeframes, um, and, and different things to think about from a planning perspective, depending on um, who you name as beneficiary for your retirement accounts, or if you are named as beneficiary on retirement accounts for say a spouse or a parent. So some things to be aware of there. So let's talk about a beneficiary example uh, for a non-spouse. Uh, so this is a non-spouse beneficiary. Um, Renee is uh, 57 and she plans to retire in three years at age 60. Uh, she currently earns $175,000 per year. And let's say that Renee inherits a, an IRA from her mother that's worth uh, approximately $490,000. So Renee has a couple of options. She's a non-spouse beneficiary to her mom. So she has to take all the money out that she inherits, this $490,000 IRA. She has to take it all out by the end of the 10th year after her mother's death. So a couple of options she has is she could take out one-tenth or $49,000 per year, each and every year for 10 years until all the money's been distributed. But since she's currently working and earning a pretty high income, if she takes the $49,000 um, 
and distributes that equally each year for 10 years, that would be added to her current income of $175,000 while she's still working. Um, that would likely push her into a higher tax bracket. It, it could also have some other ramifications to her um, tax picture. What she might consider doing instead is deferring the payout from her inherited IRA for three years until she, she retires and quits working. Once she's retired, her income of $175,000 goes away. She is almost inevitably, inevitably gonna be in a lower tax bracket. So then she could take that, that account and consider distributing it, distribu distributing it equally over the remaining seven years. So in that case, she'd be taking out $70,000 uh, each year for seven years. So she'd be taking out more dollars per year if she did it over seven years instead of the full 10 years, but she would be waiting and doing that after her relatively high income goes away. So she'd be in a lower tax bracket. So that might uh, very likely result in her getting more after tax inherited IRA assets uh, from her mother's uh, IRA that was passed to her. Let's talk about another non-spousal beneficiary example. So uh, let's say Donnie and Marie just retired at the end of 2019. And based on the retirement planning and financial planning they've done, they plan to spend approximately $120,000 per year throughout their retirement. Donnie's father is a widower and he's not in great health. Um, and Donnie's also an only child. So he's the sole beneficiary of his father's uh, IRA. And in this case, his father has a substantial IRA worth $1.5 million. The timing of inheriting an IRA, especially, of a, especially a large one, like the one in this example, can make planning a little bit trickier. Uh, and it, it introduces some other considerations and other potential planning strategies. Um, for example, um, maybe Donnie Marie should consider their tax bracket uh, versus um, the tax bracket that Donnie's father falls into. Um, just because he has a large IRA that he's accumulated, uh, accumulated doesn't necessarily mean he's uh, receiving a lot of income. So he might be in a lower tax bracket than Donnie and Marie are in. Um, so that perhaps introduces some tax planning strategies that Donnie's father could employ while he's still living. Uh, another thing to consider is um, Donnie and Marie might consider doing some Roth conversions um, before they receive this uh, inherited IRA, or um, Donnie's father could consider doing some Roth conversions because he might, again, might be in a lower tax bracket. So he might consider taking um, some of his uh, large IRA each year for a few years, converting that to a Roth IRA. That could still be passed directly to Donnie but um, it would pass tax-free and, and those dollars in the Roth IRA would not have any future tax liability or RMDs associated with it. The thinking there is if Donnie's father is in a relatively lower tax bracket compared to Donnie and Marie, uh, it might make sense for him to do some Roth conversions at a lower tax bracket and he could essentially turn those dollars uh, into Roth IRA dollars at a lower tax cost than Donnie and Marie might be able to do uh, on their own. Other considerations that come into play is if Donnie Marie uh, inherit that full one and a half million dollar IRA and they have to take it all out over uh, the course of 10 years, if they did it $150,000 a year, each year for 10 years, uh, in addition to their other retirement spending, which they plan to spend about $120,000 a year, um, that could uh, seriously impact their, um, 
their income tax, and it could also impact their income-based Medicare premiums because that would put them well over the $174,000 level at which uh, Medicare premiums increase based on your income. Uh, And there are some other potential reductions or uh, elimination of income-based tax credits and deductions that could come into play. So again, this just introduces some, some other thoughts and thinking that you might want to consider. All right, let's talk about one more strategic beneficiary planning example. So let's say your father is 84 and he has a, an IRA worth $1.8 million. Uh, your mom's still living, um, but rather than your dad leaving the full $1.8 million IRA at his death to your mom, uh, assuming your mom doesn't need the full IRA assets to continue to support her lifestyle, he instead leaves half of his IRA um, to your mom and it leaves the other half to you and your brother to split evenly. Why might your dad do this? Well, let's think it through. Uh, if, if your mom receives half of his IRA, she can treat it as his own. It'll still be subject to her own RMDs, but she does not have to pay the money out over 10 years uh, because she's a spousal beneficiary. If you and your brother receive the other half, $900,000, and you split it in half, so you each get $450,000, you each have to take all those dollars out over 10 years after the date of your dad's death. When your mom ultimately passes away, uh, and let's say that uh, let's say that her $900,000, she needs some of the money, her half of your dad's IRA, so let's say there's $700,000 left. And let's say she passes away eight years later. Well, now um, the remaining $700,000, let's say it's passed uh, evenly to you and your brother. So that starts another 10-year clock ticking over which you and your brother would have to to each take out your half of $700,000, $350,000 each. In this example, if she outlives your father by eight years, you've basically created an 18-year payout window as opposed to receiving it all and having to basically pay it all out over 10 years. So it's not the same benefit as a full stretch IRA that the way it used to work under the old rules, but it does allow to potentially stretch out the tax liability over more than just 10 years. If you consider some strategic um, planning around um, who you name as beneficiaries on your retirement accounts, you could also consider naming Uh, grandchildren, even minors as uh, beneficiaries, because that perhaps allows you to spread out the tax liability even further. And if you're charitably minded, you might consider naming a a charity uh, or a a charitable trust, for example, as a beneficiary on your IRA, because that may, um, through proper planning, that may allow you to spread out the tax liability even further. So some planning opportunities or some action items. Um, Review your beneficiary designations. Uh, Maybe have a discussion with and review your parents' beneficiary designations. Consider consider the strategic planning opportunities around beneficiaries as it relates to the new SECURE Act, the the elimination of the stretch IRA for non-spousal beneficiaries. Um, Consider naming uh, children, um, maybe grandchildren even, as partial primary beneficiaries, uh, as opposed to just maybe leaving it all to a surviving spouse. Um, consider um, consider charitable intent. So if if you or your parent uh, is charitably inclined, and let's say you're already giving money to a charitable organization or a nonprofit or a church or a charity, 
Um, there are ways to make direct charitable contributions out of your IRA to fulfill your required minimum distribution uh, amount. So th these are called QCDs. That stands for Qualified Charitable Distribution. <clears throat> That's another strategy to consider um, as a way to perhaps alleviate taxes uh, if you uh, plan to already give money to a charity anyway. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you, you, might, you might consider Roth conversions. Your parents might consider Roth conversions. Um, that's going to depend a lot on your current tax picture, your current uh, income tax bracket, um, things of that nature. So I've covered a lot. Uh, as we wrap up, uh, a few final thoughts. Uh, plan early and plan often. Um, if you have RMDs that are going to be out on the horizon, it, uh, it makes a lot of sense to plan ahead of those uh, and don't wait until the year before your RMDs are, uh, are scheduled to start before you start thinking about all this. Um, start thinking about it sooner. And just because you're required to start taking distributions out at, at a certain age, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't consider taking out money earlier. Um, either you need it or maybe you want to take some out now because you're in a lower tax bracket than you anticipate being uh, down the road when your RMDs start. So um, consider your options and uh, think ahead. Um, plan for yourself, but also think about your parents or other family members um, and how some discussions and planning while they're living might potentially save them as well as you uh, and future generations um, taxes. Um, there's some things to uh, consider there. Think about charitable strategies. Uh, if you're, you or, uh, are already charitably inclined, think about uh, qualified charitable distributions. Think about maybe naming a charitable, uh, charitable trust, for example, as a beneficiary to further uh, stretch out the tax liability associated with the passing of your retirement accounts to children, grandchildren, to other heirs. Um, consider strategic beneficiaries. Um, related to a couple of the examples we talked about. Consider Roth conversions, uh, th those may make sense. Um, and then a, a couple of closing thoughts. This is just the latest, this SECURE Act, which was recently enacted, is just the latest retirement legislation. I, I fully expect we'll see more changes in the future, but I think it's important to be aware of and play, um, play by the rules that uh, we're operating under currently. So this is the latest. Um, I wanted to share the latest uh, rules, regulations, and um, stipulations with you so you can think about how it may or may not affect your retirement planning. Um, but just be aware that inevitably things are going to continue to change. And so you need to um, you know, either do your research or work with your advisor or reach out to an advisor that um, that focuses on retirement planning and keeps up with this sort of thing. And then finally, we've talked a lot about taxes because um, all of these changes have some degree of impact on your taxes. But I believe it's important to consider taxes, but don't let taxes drive your decisions. I think you should first plan for your life and your lifestyle, plan for what you need, what's important to you, and let taxes and tax considerations and new rules and regulations like the SECURE Act inform your thinking and decision making. But I don't think you should completely let taxes and tax considerations drive your decisions because I think that can perhaps conf uh, conflict with uh, your lifestyle and your needs and making sure that you're doing everything you can to make the most out of your one shot at life. So. There's a lot more here um, that I could cover. Maybe we'll touch on it uh, more in future in a future episode. 
Um, if there is some interest from um, from you listeners, perhaps I can uh, do an interview with an estate planning attorney and they can bring a little bit more color and context to the SECURE Act and its impact from an estate planning perspective. But for now, uh, that's what I wanted to cover. This is the latest episode of uh, Women's Retirement Radio. I'm Russ Thornton, your host, and uh, I look forward to uh, catching up with you on the next episode. Thanks.